You are now listening to the IntersectionVictoria.com podcast. A place where faith meets facts. A podcast made for the thinking Christian and the skeptic. Welcome to our series entitled The Man Who Split History in Two, where we take a historical analytical view of the life of Jesus. I believe in a God who holds the heavens and the earth in existence. I believe that on the basis of rational evidence. Vikramasinghe came out with a conclusion, and Frederick Hoyle both said this, there is no way to explain the origin of life, and I'm quoting Hoyle now, in an earthbound explanation. Something extraterrestrial had to be brought into this plane, to this picture. And welcome back to part three in our series on the historical Jesus. If you've been following us so far, in part one we looked at non-Christian sources about Jesus. And we had to look at Roman, Greek, Syrian, and Jewish historical accounts that speak of the early church and Jesus' earliest reputation. In part two, we looked at Christian sources that were not the Bible itself. So in this case, we looked at Gnostic Christian sources on Jesus and the early church. And the, the Gnostic Christians were a early heretical cult, but they did have writings that come in the second century that speak about the movement known as Christianity. We also looked at, in part two, we looked at the early Christian church fathers who were the early leaders of the Christian church. Not, not considered heretics by Orthodox Christians. They were the students of the apostles and the students of the students of the apostles, and they had much to say about the early church and what their view was of Christ. What arose from those first two series is that whether you looked at government sources like Rome and or religious establishment views such as that of the Jewish nation, who were both opposed to Christianity, they both remarked on how early Christianity was based around the belief that Christ was a miracle-working supernatural being. The earlier you go in your sources, you'll find that there is no view of Jesus as a good moral teacher, like Confucius or Socrates or Martin Luther King. His earliest followers believed in him to be supernatural. That's also reflected in the early church fathers' writings and the heretical cult of the Gnostic Christians. So now as we enter part three of our series, I want to ask the question, what is the New Testament? In order to finish the puzzle, we have to ask the question, did Jesus physically exist? And do we know anything about him? The New Testament is going to be considered evidence for the existence of Jesus. In order to establish its credibility, though, we got to examine this ancient text to determine its quality as source material on Jesus of Nazareth. If it was written by those who knew him and lived during his lifetime, then it will be considered a primary historical source. One thing that's interesting about the New Testament is that it is the most well-attested work of antiquity. For one, the sheer number of manuscripts that are still in existence today is impressive. We have, and this is all from before the invention of the printing press, before, what, during a time where all copies were ancient and hand-copied not printed out in mass production in the 1500s and onwards. Before the invention of the printing press, we have, as far as handwritten materials, 
5,300 texts in Greek, 10,000 in Latin Vulgate, and 9,300 in other early versions of other languages. This adds up to more than 24,000 chunks and or complete copies of the New Testament. These 24,000 plus chunks and books and scrolls date from the 1st to the 15th century A.D. These manuscripts have been found in Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Turkey, Greece, Italy, and it, what this does is the fast spread of the document over multiple continents and countries is it makes collusion extremely impossible. Now, what I mean by that is, if you have a text and it hasn't gone out to a large-scale audience, if you manipulate that small number of texts, you can change what it says. But once a text has gone viral, and it's... Un remember, the first 300 years of Christianity, it was illegal to be a Christian. They were not a government operation. You would lose your life if you were found to hold a copy of the New Testament or any letter within it. So these people, the early Christians, did not collude together. They didn't have an official office where they're printing out the, the official version of the New Testament. This went viral. It went telephone game. Christians were copying and recopying and copying by hand the New Testament as it spread throughout different countries, different continents, and different languages. Can you imagine if you held a copy of the New Testament in, let's say, 100 A.D., or current era, and you wanted to change the official story about Jesus? You would have no way of knowing how many copies were out in how many countries, and you could never gather them all together to make a single word change without 99.99% of other copies not having your version of events. It makes it nearly impossible to change the Bible, considering how it was spread, how widely it was spread, how many countries it went into, and how many different languages, different languages it was transcribed into right from the start. And this is all because Christianity was a missionary underground faith from its very start. The scriptures were immediately translated into the known languages of that period. For example, the Coptic language translation came in the 200s and 300s AD, or CE. The Gothic version came in the 300s, the Armenian in the 400s, the Georgian in the 400s, the Ethiopic in the 500s, as well as the Nubian language version in the 500s AD. These versions were made in different languages, and again, makes it nearly impossible, if not impossible, to corrupt the New Testament. You'd have to secure all the texts from all the geographical locations and in all the languages in order to cover your tracks if you're going to introduce even a single faulty line. At this point, skeptics will talk about how there are 200,000 200, mistakes in the New Testament when you compare all those different language versions to each other. Now, what's interesting here is that there are less than 185,000 words in all of the New Testament itself. So, something doesn't add up here. So, here's how they get that number, the number 200,000. It's misleading because if a single word, remember I said there were, you know, 10,000 Latin Vulgate copies, 5,000... 
Greek texts, etc. Whenever you find a lineage of texts, in other words, we have lots of texts, but often they're handwritten copies of each other. So if I make one mistake on one word, but it gets copied a hundred, two thousand, three thousand times, well, they count each one of those words, each one of those copies of that word, for every single time it appears in a text. This would be like me taking a single magazine article, taking misspelling a word in it, and then making 2,000 copies of that same article, which only holds one mistake, but then I'm told it counts as 2,000 mistakes. That's how you get that number 200,000s. In reality, there are only 400 words in the New Testament that are in question. So this represents 0.5% of the entire New Testament. And these errors are obviously attributed to the difficulties you encounter when you translate a text from the Greek original version to another language. So as you can see, we're dealing with, when we're talking about the New Testament, a body of 24,000 manuscripts with which to recreate what the original Christians would have held in their hands. If you'll remember from part two, the unique thing about the New Testament is that it has another source that we can use to recreate it. The early church fathers, who were the students of the apostles, and the students of the students of the apostles, wrote to each other all the time, and we possessed their letters. And when they quoted the Bible to each other, you can take those quotes, cut them and paste them into a scrapbook, and you could recreate the entire New Testament except for 11 verses. But even forgetting that secondary source, when we go to the texts and manuscripts we possess today, that you can literally see with your own eyes in the 21st century, we have 24,000 parchments, texts, scrolls, and entire books that we can put together to recreate our New Testament. This is an incredible amount of source work, and it comes early. So if you don't know much about ancient writings, you might think, ah, so what? What's the big deal? Well, in order to show you the difference between the New Testament and other works from ancient history, we'll have to look at the greatest hits list of these documents. Coming in in seventh place is a, the Caesar's Gaelic Wars Annals. Now, Emperor Caesar wrote a history of the wars between Rome and Gaul, which is modern-day France and the northern parts of Germany. He would have written these between 100 BC and 44 BC. We don't know when because the earliest copy we still possess today that you can go and see in a museum is 900 AD. He didn't write it in 900 AD because he wasn't alive in 900 AD. He died 900 years earlier. So the time span between the time he would have originally written it and the time and the dating of the oldest copy we currently possess is, is a thousand years. There's a thousand year gap between his writing and the copies we possess today. And overall, there's only 10 manuscripts of Caesar's Gaelic Wars. Let's skip down to about fourth place. 
the historian Tacitus wrote in around 100 A.D. The oldest copy of his work we have is from 1100 A.D. So there's a thousand years between the time he wrote and the first copy we currently possess. And we have overall about 20 manuscripts of his works. That's fourth place in all of ancient antiquitous texts. It's considered very, very solid. Notice that on this list, you will not find anything to do with Alexander the Great. The texts surrounding his life, which no scholar in any, in any university would question that Alexander the Great existed and that we have good, decent information about his life, he doesn't even show up in the top 10 of antiquity's greatest, most well-attested documents. If we go down to number two, the number two place in all of ancient history texts is Homer's Iliad. Now, he would have written around 900 B.C., but the oldest copy we possess is from 400 B.C. That's only 500 years between the time he would have written and the oldest text we currently possess. And we have 600 and 43 manuscripts with which to recreate his original works, the oldest copy being around 400 B.C. Only a 500-year difference, which is unusual. So I hope you can appreciate the head and shoulders difference between Homer's Iliad and, let's say, Caesar's Gaelic Wars or even Tacitus's work. But the question is, if Homer's Iliad is in second place, silver medal, who's got the gold medal? Who holds first place in terms of ancient documents. Well, as I said at the beginning of this part, it's the New Testament. The New Testament was written, and it's, the New Testament is a collection of works from different authors, and it would have been written between 40 AD to 100 AD. This would be in the first century. Now, the earliest copy we possess today is from anywhere from 70 to 125 AD. That means from the time of original writing to the time of the oldest copy we currently possess is a difference of only 25 to 50 years. That is literally 10 times better than the second place finisher, Homer's Iliad. And Homer's Iliad, we have 643 manuscripts of that work compared to the New Testament in which, as I said, we have 24 thousand manuscripts that we can use to recreate the New Testament as it would have been in ancient history. There is no comparison in all of textual historical criticism that is anywhere near as solid as the New Testament. The earliest known piece of our scripture is called the P-52 John Ryland's Papyrus. It contains parts of the Gospel of John and is dated to about 125 AD. The Gospel of John is thought to have been written in the 90s AD. So that gives us 25 to 35 years after the Gospel's written and the oldest copy we have. That is insane. Insanely close compared to every other text in history. Let that sink in. And recently, a manuscript containing Paul's letters, some of Paul's letters, and the book of Hebrews, 
was found in what's called P46, John Rowland's Papyrus. And it was been dated to 85 AD. That could be within 25 to 30 years after Paul had written the originals. So here's a list of early New Testament manuscripts and their respective dates, as well as the, as well as the portions of the New Testament they contain. Remember that a papyrus is a rolled up piece of paper. It's a scroll. It's the oldest form of writing we have. Later on in life, in the three and four hundreds AD, something called the book was invented, where we have the central spine like we have in our modern books, in which you glue all the pages together using that as a back end. This is called a codex. Old books are called codexes or codices. The Codex Sinaiticus is the earliest full copy of the New Testament found in a single book, and it comes in 350 AD. It has not only the full New Testament, but some of the Old Testament as well. The Chester Beatty Papyri is a collection of scrolls that make up most, but not all, the New Testament, and it's important because it is comprised of several papyri dating from only the 2nd and 3rd centuries the 100s and 200s AD. Again, this is insanely early for any ancient text, head and shoulders above any other text. Now, if you visit our website at intersectionvictoria.com, look up in our search bar, The Man Who Split History in Two, and click on the ebook, you will find all the graphs that are, if you're a visual person, you'll find the graphs which help make more sense of all this data on the copies of the New Testament, how early they come, etc. An important factor to consider when we're talking about the New Testament is the extreme likelihood that what we possess today is just a smidgen of what actually existed in the first century AD. Obviously, 2,000 years later, time, happenstance, corrodes our source work. It doesn't embellish it. It wears out, in other words. It doesn't get created over time. Needless to say that the time and human activity will diminish the number of texts available for us to study 2,000 years after a particular event. The time of writing of the New Testament books can be estimated by placing certain of its texts in light of a specific historical events and extrapolating the time of the initial authorship. Although many skeptics love to place the New Testament's creation in the 2nd century AD, so the 100s AD, long after Christ's life, making all New Testament documents secondary historical documents at best by non-eyewitnesses, but there are internal clues in the New Testament that place the most likely dating of its writing in the early part of the 1st century so well within the generation of those who had lived along Christ. And remember, the Roman government, the Jewish authorities' works on early Christianity and Jesus also pushed the dating of the birth of the Christian's belief in a supernatural Christ earlier than the second century. Now, you got to remember, in AD 70... There was an invasion, siege, and destruction of Jerusalem by Rome that is not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. 
the New Testament records that Jesus prophesied this event. It was a major prophecy he had made. And it would have for sure been included in the book of Acts in the New Testament to add credibility to Christ's teachings, but it's not mentioned. In other words, the New Testament was most likely written before A.D. 70 for that reason. A.D. 64, Nero persecutes Christians at a level that had never been experienced prior, not even within Jerusalem. That's also not mentioned in Acts. In A.D. 62, James is martyred. In A.D. 64, Paul was martyred, the Apostle Paul. And in A.D. 65, the head of the church, the Apostle Peter, was martyred. None of those deaths are referred to in any of the 27 canonized books of the New Testament, and not in Acts, which is the most comprehensive historical record we have of the early church. None of the above events, which would have had an enormous impact on the nascent Christian community, are mentioned in any of the New Testament writings. On that ground, on those grounds, it it's, can be argued that the New Testament books were written before these historical occurrences. The only explanation can be that all the books of the New Testament were written prior to these events, and thus likely before 62 AD, which is just 30 years after the death of Jesus. Remember that Paul quotes Luke's Gospels in his letters to Timothy and his letter to the Corinthian church. That makes his writings to Timothy and Corinthians earlier than Luke's works. And the Gospel of Luke predates the book of Acts. And it's, it itself contains elements of Matthew and Mark. So Matthew and Mark are now pushed earlier than the book of Acts and Luke, which would have been the early 60s, making them, Matthew and Mark, in the late 50s. So in conclusion... In all of ancient literature, nothing comes close to the New Testament in terms of the number of manuscripts we still possess today and how close those copies are to the time of the original writing. Internal clues in the New Testament shows that the original writings came far earlier than the manuscripts we still possess today. Considering that Christianity was an underground illegal religion, it did not benefit from official government scribes to just mass copy and distribute the texts. And this was true in Christianity for 300 years after the life of Christ. It was an underground illegal religion for 300 years after Christ. So the fact that underground, unsupervised, unfunded, organic grassroots copies of the New Testament was made in different languages, over different continents and countries, and yet when we cross-reference them to each other, we have less than 1% of the New Testament being in question. This is also unheard of. Ancient texts usually have 5 to 10% discrepancy between manuscripts. To have less than a percentage point, to have a 0.5% discrepancy rate for the New Testament is unheard of. This is an amazing feat, considering that it was translated into at least eight different languages over three continents in the first 500 years of the birth of Christianity. That's a very unusual care and attention placed on the text of the New Testament during a time in which it cost Christians their lives to be caught with it. 
So now that we're coming to the end of part three, consider parts one, two, and three of our series. And can we not safely establish that a man named Jesus of Nazareth indeed existed in ancient Israel, and that all the information about his movement states that he was believed to be, by his most intimate followers, to be a miracle-working Messiah, by those who were willing to die for him. Now, in our next part, we're going to evaluate how historically accurate is this New Testament. Please join us. Hope to see you then. Thank you for joining us. Please visit our website and social media. Find us at intersectionvictoria.com. Goodbye.